All right, well, third time's a charm here. I've already tried to start this podcast three different times. We'll just go with this one. Uh, Lee Benson here along with Grant. First time all year we've done a somewhat immediate post-game podcast for Oklahoma football. We used to do these all the time uh, before this weird 2020 year hit us. But uh, now that Oklahoma's won now six straight Big 12 championships, we've decided to jump on here Sunday morning. Uh, before all of the NFL games kick off and before the college football playoff is set in stone uh, to talk about the game and everything else going along in college football. So, uh, Grant, first of all, how are you doing this late Sunday morning? I'm doing pretty well. Just actually, you know, just just really happy that OU won the Big 12 championship. I've been kind of trying to... Uh, Trying to be sanguine about this season and, and and that game yesterday. Don't want to don't want to pick too many nits um, because there are lots of them. Just trying to uh, to remain focused on on being happy that they won the Big Twelve championship and that they did beat you know a really good Iowa State team uh, on, on the second try this year. But uh, man, six straight Big Twelve championships. That is, I mean, that's that's quite the accomplishment, especially with how you know how competitive this conference is. So today we're going to just fire from the hip and also rely on all of your three-word reviews to direct the conversation. Um, we have re-watched a little bit of the game. I mostly re-watched the second half because that's when the offense uh, didn't move the ball very much, and I was just curious to re-watch that unit again to see what was going on. Um, so I'll have a little bit more in-depth thoughts on that. Everything else will just be from what I remember from the game. And I know for you, Grant, I think you tried to rewatch a little bit of the game before the podcast, but uh, for the first time, you know, in a while, this is one of the treat this kind of like the game just ended, and this is us pretty much reacting to what we saw. And I think the aside from Oklahoma winning an, another Big Twelve title, uh, obviously very similar to the previous game you know, Oklahoma played. The big talking point is what's going on with the offense. And immediately when the game began, Oklahoma's offense was very, very good against a really good Iowa State defense. And then after the first three series, it was uh, stymied. And that's probably keeping it uh, polite. And I, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who has been a defender of uh, the offense, more specifically the offensive line. And you know, watching back the second half of that game, to me, I. It, I, 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 again, I've said that a million times. I'm not an expert on offensive line play, uh, but I, I, to me, Iowa State def Iowa State's defense was was really good. I, I thought they had an answer for everything Oklahoma did in the second half of that game. Uh, how much of that? I guess the question is, we'll start with this, and and how much of of what we're seeing with Oklahoma's offense is Oklahoma's offense just not as good as it as it normally has been and we're just so used to seeing a dynamic high-flying Oklahoma offense how much of it is that and how much of it is the Big 12 is kind of starting to figure out certain principles and certain ideas and uh, certain plays of Oklahoma's offense and the defenses have improved and you mix the improved defenses with just familiarity with Oklahoma and that is why Oklahoma's offense is struggling. And, and I don't know the answer to that question. I, I, I would lean more towards, honestly, I think the Big 12 and these really good defenses are kind of starting to figure out Oklahoma a little bit more. Uh, Ooh, I'm on, I the, I'm on the total probably... opposite end of that spectrum. It's, 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 this offense just isn't as good as it's been in the past. Um, I, I, I kind of alluded this to you uh, when we were texting back and forth. I think Jalen Hurts last season covered up uh, that the offensive line really wasn't that good a lot of the time. Um, and I think this year you're, you're sort of seeing that 
that play out in real time. And it's not like the offensive line is bad. It's it's certainly not bad. It's it's definitely one of the better 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 units in college football. But relative to where it was and at the end of 2016 and then all throughout 2017 and 2018, this offensive line just isn't as good. There's just not as good of players up front as there was. And then and also, I, I think there there is a little bit of the defenses are better in this conference. They probably have figured out kind of how to attack this offense a lot more so. Uh, but but really, I, I, th- I think it's more of a combination of OU just not being great up front. They're pretty good, but just not great up front. Um and and also, I think this offense had the least amount of continuity uh, from year over year since Lincoln Riley has been here. Um, so, because you know, in 2015, you had Baker Mayfield right away to you know to taking the reins, and then he was there for three seasons, and then you had just the the incredible one year talent of Kyler Murray, and then of course you had the the really dependable running ability of Jalen Hurts and just kind of his his steady leadership the next season along with. Uh, you know, C.D. Lamb coming back and all of those running backs as well. Whereas this year, you had what everyone thought was a good offensive line because everyone came back that maybe wasn't as good as we thought because of what Jalen Hurts did the year before uh, in covering up some of their deficiencies. And you had no running backs coming back, you know, until Stevenson was back on Halloween night against Texas Tech. You essentially had no receivers back uh, other than Charleston Rambo, which we have, which, which we have seen this year, a lot of his success in the early part of last year probably had a lot to do with C.D. Lamb. Um, I, I, this, this, I mean, bluntly put, this is the worst offense that Lincoln Riley has had since he's been on campus at OU, and it's still a good offense. I think that's something that as fans that we should be grateful of that this is probably still one of the ten best offenses in college football, but it's not at that gear where it's going to just score and go up and down the field on everybody. And I kind of feel like in, in, you know, in college football, you can have a really good offense, but still at times be really stymied by good defenses, which is what this one is. And then at times you have ultra elite offenses that are going to score on basically anybody. And this season, I think that's Alabama and Clemson. And then that was OU in 2016, 2017, and 2018. And it just hasn't been the last two seasons. Uh, but the thing that you want to hold on to is that there is there is a lot of continuity coming back from this season next year, and then hopefully you know a full off season and a full spring practice with Spencer Rattler and these receivers that you know maybe this offense can develop that kind of killer instinct. Because right now I just I, I think relative to what they had been the previous you know five seasons or four seasons, they're just not as good as they were. Okay, so. Um... I think where they're lacking ability, if, if you're going to talk about just lack of, uh, you know, they're not as good. You know, where are they not as good? I think the general fan, and maybe not just general fan, maybe a lot of people that know football would, would point to the offensive line and say it, it's not as good there. Uh, I would say that that is not the main issue. I, th- I think Oklahoma is not as good at receiver this year weirdly enough it's like it used to be running back then Ramondre came back and Ramondre's good and TJ Pledger's actually been fine I think at receiver this year they have been lacking and especially with Stogner being out for the last few games they they do not have and I was texting you this a little bit before I, I think what would have helped open things up a little bit after watching the second half of that game and just thinking out a little bit more what Oklahoma lacks this year is a true 
take the top off type deep threat like a D.D. Westbrook or a Marquise Brown. And I know Marvin Mims is kind of supposed to be that guy. I don't think he has the kind of speed that those guys had. I, I, I don't think in either that or they're just not really using him in the same fashion. Obviously, he had the long touchdown in that game. And that was a nice double move. And it was a it was a dime by Spencer Rattler. But they didn't or didn't really try or if they are trying to do that the rest of the game against Iowa State, it wasn't working because they weren't able to stretch the field. And I just I, I see guys like Theo Weiss can't get any separation. I see guys like Jaden Hazelwood, who I know he's kind of hurt. He can't get any separation. Trajan Bridges was on the field very, very little amount finally on Saturday, and he and he almost got a touchdown. It would have been a great play. Uh, got a little bit of separation. Makes you kind of wonder, OK, why wasn't he on the field more? Is it just because he hasn't been playing much? But I know he's been practicing, I believe. So is it just one of those things where, yep, sorry, you haven't been playing much. You don't get as many reps. We're still seeing Charleston Rambo getting a decent amount of snaps. He's supposed to be that guy, but he just isn't. Uh, I would point to that. I, I, I just I don't see the kind of talent at receiver that Oklahoma has had the last few years. Obviously, C.D. Lamb was a guy that he wasn't really a field stretcher, but Rambo could be used like that last year with C.D. kind of underneath, and, and for whatever reason, that worked, especially the first half of the year. I think, and, and I haven't put a whole lot of thought into this. This kind of just came to me today, but that's my main issue with this Oklahoma offense, I think, is at wide receiver, not necessarily offensive line. What do you think about that? I, I, I don't I'm not necessarily sure talent is kind of is is their problem there. I think a lot of it is they're just inexperienced. They're they're just not that experienced there. And I, I think I think Marvin Mims is that take the top off of the defense guy in his career. He will be that guy. Um he he had already shown flashes of it this season. He's Marvin Mims right now is the best receiver on the team that, that we've seen. Now I, I I suspect after a full off season of of being healthy and working with Spencer Rattler, I suspect the two best receivers on this offense next season are going to be Jaden Hazelwood and Trajan Bridges. Um, but as of right now, I'm I mean I'm I'm really excited for Marvin Mims. I think he is going to be that take the top off guy. Um, you know, you forget Lee, you weren't you weren't super around, but D.D. Westbrook was only that guy for one season. He had to have a year of development and seasoning before he was that guy. You know, reliably. And, uh, you know, Marquise Brown came on the scene a little quicker, but remember, it still took him half a season before he stepped on the field uh, and, and took that off. And, you know, I, I just, Spencer Rattler, for how good he is, and he is good, and he, he is and was the best quarterback in the Big 12 this season, but you can tell that processing time is still a tick slow. It still is. There is stuff that he is leaving on the field, um, and, you know, I, I think, especially this season, you definitely take the good with the bad. But I think after after a full offseason of working with these guys, actually being in the same building with the continuity, throwing with them over and over again, you hope that you get Austin Stogner back, uh, along with, you know, the, the receivers that are coming in, you know, from high school and stuff as well. You hope that maybe you can kind of piece together a deeper, more reliable receiving core, because all the guys are coming back. Um, so, you know, I, I, I agree with you that this season, maybe right now, currently what plagues the team the most, especially the offense is the inexperience at wide receiver. And also Spencer Rattler's time being a, being a tick slow right now and him, him need, needing another off season of development because, you know, I, I, I thought, I thought Rattler was okay yesterday. He was pretty good at times. Uh, but I, I thought there were also times where Lincoln Riley kind of with his play calling showed that he didn't really trust him fully in those moments. Um, and, and I think that is because that processing time is a tick slow and that he has shown uh, sometimes that he, he will get confused by, by better and more experienced defenses. 
Now, uh, since this is a situation where we're essentially kind of just going off the cuff because we haven't done a full rewatch, I, I could not disagree with you more about, about uh, your Riley comment about Rattler. I, I, think, I think Riley, there was, I don't remember any time where I thought, ah, I don't know if Riley trusts Rattler. I guess maybe you could point to that one time they ran the ball on third down and like eight late in the game. But I, I didn't look at that as you don't trust Rattler. I look at that as like, I, I think Riley just was kind of out of ideas, which is yeah, kind of, I, uh, kind of Sad. Actually, yeah, on my rewatch, I got I got about three quarters through. My play calling three quarters through or the my, my thoughts on the play calling were not as harsh as they were while I was watching it live. Um it, it it did like Riley did really try to go back to the well with what was working, and Iowa State had answers for it. Like for instance, uh they pretty much only had any success running the ball in that game, kind of on that little outside zone concept. The exact same concept that Texas was having success with Iowa State on. Um, and when, and oh, you, they, they continued to try to go back to it. They also had a lot of play action looks off of it as well. Uh, just a majority of the time, Iowa state had an answer for it. They, they recognized it and they defended it. Um, so, you know, I, it's, I give, give credit we, to Iowa state. They, they, they are a good defense, but Oklahoma's offense right now is just not at that level. And like the thing that I said to you before going on is that, the offenses in 16, 17, and 18 would, would do whatever they want against that defense. It, I, Iowa State would not have had any answers for any of those offenses. But right now with this offense, not great up front, inexperienced at receiver, and I, I still think Rattler is a tick slow. Yeah, I mean, they're a, an experienced, well-coached defense is going to have success against those guys. Yeah, I, I just... Which was, I, which again, was I, remember, I, I, my biggest fear going into this game. Sure, sure, uh, I don't know, and I, I still, I, I just, I don't buy that the offensive line is as, is as bad as it's not bad. It it's is. not bad. It's, it's good, especially it's, compared to previous offensive lines. It's probably I, so one of I, the ten or fifteen best in the country. That's just that dividing line in college football is so fine, and like there, there's well, a big difference in college football between elite and really good. There's a huge See, but difference. The, the offensive line can play really well, but whenever a defense is outnumbering you and they're attacking the run like Iowa State does, Iowa State's one of the best run defense teams in college football, like Oklahoma is on defense, and we saw why. I mean, they attack. They come up. They, they have every gap taken, taken care of, and how to counteract that is to try to play that aggressiveness against them, and Oklahoma just they couldn't do that. They, they could not work the play action and get over top of those linebackers and safeties who would come up on the run because they're so disciplined and also Oklahoma for whatever reason and my, my, my one big criticism uh, as far as play calling those that I've noticed especially maybe since Sogner's been out they don't attack the middle of the field very much at all and it's open a lot I shouldn't say a lot but it that's one of the weaknesses Iowa State has especially on third down they like to bring a, pl- a lot of players up towards the line of scrimmage we talked about it before the before the game at, and they'll show blitz they'll leave the middle of the field open and for example, uh, a, a big one play that a lot of people were complaining about in the second half was that third and one call when Oklahoma decided to go play action, a little RPO, didn't run the ball with Ramondre, and the slant across the middle of the field to Theo Weiss was, was broken up. And a lot of people thought, oh, just run the ball there. And yeah, I, sure, it's easy. Yeah, just run the ball there. But here's the idea. Like, I, I totally understand what they were trying to do there. The idea was, oh, yeah, Iowa State knows we're going to run the ball here. It's third and short. Let's try to get them... Uh, being over aggressive coming up to stop the run and hit him on the back end. And my issue with that play was Greg Eisworth was in the middle of the field. And on third down, 
Smith, you could tell Spencer Rattler was reading Eisworth. And at the snap, Eisworth came down towards the line of scrimmage, leaving the middle of the field wide open. Oklahoma did not have a deep shot attached to that play. Like the, the deep shot, if you will, was Theo Weiss's 10-yard slant that was uh, covered man-to-man very well. And if you're going to do that against a guy, I honestly, Theo Weiss is not my guy right now. He's not, he's not a burner. He's, he, he can't get separation, really. If you're going to do that, maybe Marvin Mims is a better play or send somebody deep because the middle of the field was wide open with no safety help. So it, it, it really, in a situation where Oklahoma could have anticipated Iowa State being really aggressive and, and leaving the middle of the field open, they didn't call an aggressive play to counteract it, even though they kind of, they kind of did. And also, Spencer is a guy that he likes to take the kind of the more difficult tight window throw. And I think it was a good read. He threw that ball before he was even in the window. It was, just, it was good coverage. The guy broke it up. He, he wasn't open. Also, I believe it was Charleston Rambo on the field. He was open on the, on the three-yard out route for the first down. Uh, that's when Spencer needs to just take what's, what the defense is giving him, boom, move on to the next play. Uh, but my problem is what I just said a moment ago, and also the personnel on the field. I don't think Marvin Mims was in the game. Charleston Rambo and Theo Weiss was, and, and I, I'm not sure if there's anybody on the backside, but uh, Spencer had plenty of time. I mean, he wasn't getting rushed. They had max protect. They only had, I think, two players out on a route, and they couldn't convert that. That's a problem. Uh, I understand what Spencer was doing, but I don't have that big of a problem with him not running it there uh, after watching it back. So like stuff like that, maybe to, to your point earlier, in the past with a guy like Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray, they probably hit those plays. They're not off the field on third down there. And, and I think that goes back to you hope that Spencer, as time goes on, he gets more experience, and even though he likes to make the, the, the dynamic play and, and be a playmaker, as he gets more snaps under his belt, he'll still hopefully have that, but also make more of the move the chains, let's keep this drive alive type plays as well. You hope, you hope after an offseason of, you know, of, like I said, of continuity, of coaching, of throwing to those guys, that he'll, he'll and, and also a film study, he'll get comfortable with the idea that if you if you hit those intermediate routes over the middle of the field for for 10 11 12 yards that that is going to open up the big shots as well. And so and they gotta, especially I mean, if they you have hit to those. run some routes over the middle of the field though for him to be able to do that. And, and yeah, you're right. You're right. There, there weren't very many at all. I mean, one of the only ones all game was late in the game when they ran Braden Willis on that 15-yard slant. That was a great I mean, great. Nice throw, he great, great catch. Yeah. And it worked. I mean, it was but Iowa State made him pay for it. I mean, Eisworth hit him and it it, it so but there wasn't a whole lot of over the middle type stuff, and that that is my my that's one odd. big criticism. That's odd because there, you know, like I said, when when Stogner was there, there was quite a bit of it, uh, and when Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray were the quarterbacks, there was a lot of over the middle stuff. So you know, I'm we'll, we'll see. I don't know. Maybe that's just one of the the weird things right now that with without Stogner, they're not super comfortable with it. Um, but I don't know. I this is I I. I I, th- I think it's it's probably wise to get comfortable with that. You know, this is just this is just 2020 Oklahoma. This is just what their offense is and was this year, and it's kind of what we said it was at the end of the year. They have a really high ceiling, but they have been neutered a little bit this year by their inexperience and them, you know, not not being supremely great up front. So, uh, but, but let let's move on to defense. But real quick, I just have some stats because we both kind of like yards per play. Uh, the first three drives of the game, Oklahoma averaged 9.4 yards per play. Uh, the rest of the first half, they only averaged 4.2 yards per play. And then after halftime, they only averaged 3.9 yards per play. So the, the first three drives were great. 
and then the last drive of the or the uh, that drive before halftime where Spencer scored that was a good drive, and then the last drive where they kicked the field goal was was good and and they set up Jaden Hazelwood for hey back we've talked about it a million times like our favorite thing hey here's your big five star receiver going up against their guy hey let him make a play and Oklahoma couldn't do it you know they they threw a back shoulder throw to him in the end zone and he he didn't make the play and yeah that's that's, timing's just not there timing just isn't there yet like they like a lot of this stuff you know uh, a lot of those move the chains type plays Lee the intermediate throws a lot of those are timing routes that you just got to hit over and over and over again during practice and the offseason and and you, you you hope you hope that is where most of the growth is on this offense because I mean everyone sees the ability with Spencer Rattler. I mean, the guy is, he's an absolute menace when he's outside the pocket. It does just kind of seem like he knows that and he tries to get outside the pocket as much as possible. When if he just kind of stood in there and climbed the pocket and took what was given to him, he'd be, he'd be a lot better. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll see if, if, if that's part of his development in the off season. I, I, I'm thinking that Lincoln Riley is going to be hammering that home quite a bit. How about, uh, Last thing on the offense, because you mentioned Rattler. <laughs> How about that uh, that sideline throw to Marvin Mims in the second half from the far hash, and he just dropped it over and right on Mar- right to Marvin. Uh, yeah, beautiful on the sideline. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I also now that if we're mentioning Marvin, that was cool. Marvin's um, his, his his touchdown catch, the long one, where uh, he just a perfect route, absolutely spun Greg Eisworth around on his route. Um, Lee, that is that's the quintessential OU home run play. That's the one that they threw to DD all the time. They won the, the one they threw to to Hollywood all the time, and that I mean that was Mims, and like that's he's gonna he's gonna have that that play thrown to him a lot over the next two seasons. So um, you know Mims is awesome. Right. Let's not let's not forget about the throw uh, he had to Hazelwood that he dropped into the bucket in in between yep. three guys. That was. That I mean, that's an NFL throw. I mean, I don't know what else you can say about that. Yeah, just dropping it in in that soft spot in the the zone defense. Uh, it, okay, so because this is Oklahoma and the offense has been what it has been, of course we start the show with the offense. But uh, I mean, it's it's a different team now. Grant, the defense is playing good football. It's uh, it's it's a team that if uh, once again like the Baylor game, if the defense wasn't where it is right now, Oklahoma loses the football game. And how much of, you know, this is another thing we can go into a uh, different show not not today, not today. But how much of Oklahoma's defense actually being good now is affecting Lincoln Riley's play calling? A where lot. he used to be so aggressive because he's you no know, I I I have to take shots cuz my defense sucks. Now, yeah, but let's not go into detail with that right now. I I, I kind of want more time to think about it. But uh, just some brief stats, uh, five three and outs against Iowa State's offense. Took the ball away three times, which that's that's the biggest part of the game. I mean, that's that's awesome. Uh, only five tackles for loss, uh, but I mean, they for the most part they were able to tackle Brees Hall. They held him to I think seventy nine yards rushing. Sacked Purdy three times. Purdy was cooking a little bit in the second half. He was able to get away from some pressure. Uh, three three PBUs, and the 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 biggest stat uh, aside from the takeaways for me, especially after the first game, is Oklahoma in the secondary. They were not penalized one time. No penalties from the defensive backs. Three interceptions. Trey Brown, that final one. In the middle of the game, it was Pat Fields and Trey Norwood had one. So all three picks coming from three veteran players. And again, to remind everybody, the last time they played Iowa State in early October, Oklahoma was penalized in the secondary six times. Six. So just my hat's off to Alex Grinch. 
Roy Manning and the and all those guys in the secondary. Uh, that is, if you want to look at improvement from early October to Saturday, that is the stat you look at. That is fantastic. I think um, I think you could you could make the case that this game actually played out really similarly to their first meeting, except OU, where they really came up short in the first meeting. That's where they won the game this time. In the first half, they did not take advantage of... In the first half of the first game, they didn't take advantage of all their scoring opportunities, left points on the field, only scored 17 points. This time around, they they did a better job in that regard, put 17 up in the, on the first three possessions of the game. And then, of course, Trey Brown had the big kickoff return. They made a play. They made a special teams play. And then they did a good job of converting after that um, to make it 24-7. to And maybe the... You, you could argue that Iowa State played just about as effectively on offense as they did the first time around. Just the difference was when Brock Purdy threw the ball to Oklahoma, they caught it. And a majority of the time when they were when when Brees Hall was behind the line of scrimmage, they were able to get him down without any without him kind of spinning out and getting a lot there. Like Brees Hall, I think he had maybe two or three runs over 10 yards in the game. But I mean, that was mostly it. They they just they didn't block. They didn't block for him very well up front. So, um, and that, that kind of goes again, like what I'm saying, Lee, just to, not to harp on the offensive line like too much, but I, I just, I want to emphasize again, just how like there is a massive dividing line in college football between elite offensive line and really good offensive line. And I think Oklahoma and Iowa state are in the really good offensive line category right now. And you can still even see, just just look at what Iowa State and OU's defensive lines did to those really good offensive lines. I mean, that's that's the dividing line. Whereas an elite offensive line is 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 probably going to be able to handle Iowa State. Uh, maybe, uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's there just I I guess I would say there's probably there's very few elite offensive lines right now. I mean, no, there's there's you maybe point, you point I mean to Alabama may, and say, maybe Florida after watching that game because Florida I, had their way with Alabama. Yeah, I, I like I don't. Uh, I mean, and, and I'm sure and maybe, Clemson's really good. And maybe, and maybe it's not even a sense that there is a one every single year in college football. But OU yeah. had one for sure in 2017 and 2018. Definitely 17, 18. Uh, I guess in 18 they won the, the Moore Award. I, I mean, you could make the argument they could have won it in 17 too. But I think what Georgia won it in 17. I think. Uh, no, I Notre Dame maybe. won it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, good call. Um, yeah, that may, so, I mean, that was Quentin Nelson, and they had two first-round yeah, picks. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, you mentioned Trey Brown. Uh, yeah, how about that special teams? Two kickoff returns, and let's talk about him. I mean, he 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 shows up in this game, and, and he played a fantastic game uh, against Iowa State. Obviously, had the interception to end it, uh, but he, he played pretty well, and uh, a lot of credit to the kickoff team for – or kickoff return team for setting it up at the end of the first half and then also – that uh, that last drive that uh, that led to Gabe Burkich's field goal that forced Iowa State to have to go down and try to score a touchdown. Uh, Brown was really good. I I, I guess I'll I'll, I'll uh, lump him in with the rest of the secondary. I for the first time in a long time, Grant, I noticed the Oklahoma secondary as a whole seemingly try to break and anticipate route concepts by an opposing team, and and try to and, and unfortunately it, it didn't result in any interceptions. Uh, for but I, I saw Trey Norwood breaking on like anticipating routes. Trey Brown did the same thing. It's just they're just a, a, a just a titch slow because I mean they haven't done it a whole lot. But it was nice to see that that they had been watching tape. They know exactly what Iowa State was going to try to do to them uh, early on in the game. Uh, they, they they got off the field on third down. Uh, they Iowa State had a 
inside slot guy run a five, six-yard out route, and Buki saw it right away, broke on it, and also Woody Washington was there in cover two to help as well. So that was nice to see from the secondary. They It looked like they had really, really studied film of Iowa State. I the one There was one instance where I wish there would have been more. So what it, it was on, it was uh, in the fourth quarter, it was it was either Iowa State's first or second. Uh, they're uh, they they're either their last drive or their second to the last drive, and they were in third and long in in their own territory. And OU sent the house on on third down, and they were to hit, they were able to hit Kohler across the middle. I was just I was begging on the replay there for DTY to understand that they were obviously going to go over the middle to Kohler there and to face guard him. And to and and to seal off the inside. So whereas, like, if he's right, because like, why wouldn't you play the inside there, like inside uh, that's, leverage? I, I I that that's one where you tip your cap because when you're DTY and you're playing man in the middle of the field against Cole, that's he could go anywhere. Yeah, and but like, I, wouldn't you wouldn't you want to wouldn't you want to face guard the the center of the field? So if he does cut it off and go outside the numbers, you would be forcing Purdy to make a really long throw across the numbers against that pressure. No, I I don't think that's a part of. It. I mean, I guess you can in your mind think, okay, we're blitzing, so uh, I'm I'm gonna bank on. Purdy not having much time so I could maybe play a little bit tighter on Kohler and not give him so much cushion at the at the start but that's really risky when it's it's man free I mean I, I, I think I think they had one safety back helping but that, that that's not a play where I'm, I'm going to criticize D2 I mean that was just a really nice play and like good on good on uh, like it, it it's a play where I, I kind of wish that that wasn't the play where Oklahoma sent the house honestly because uh where where Oklahoma on offense weirdly has not called a lot of good blitz beaters and given Spencer a chance over the middle of the field to have a, a safety valve. Iowa State so schemed up, they have that. And like if that was Oklahoma on offense, I don't know. Well, granted, I, Spencer Spencer Lincoln Riley would have Charlie Kohler and probably not be afraid to call plays over the middle of the field. So I guess that's probably the big difference. Yeah, remember in the uh, first the first Iowa State game on the the all out blitz against Iowa State, just the kind of the yeah, but that, but, threw yeah, up but he, Stogner. Yeah, like, but he, he just he Sauter, it. Sauter just ran. Yeah, but Sauter just ran a just run a go. I mean, he yeah, wasn't like it a, wasn't it wasn't over the middle. Wasn't over the middle of the field, which it still worked. Uh, but yeah, that that was a play where you just kind of tip your cap and you, you hope you know Grinch was being aggressive and they just they didn't get there. Um, uh, Trey Norwood played really well. Uh, obviously, the I, I have no idea what the coverage was on his interception. I, I thought it was cover two, and then I thought it was man, but I, I don't know. But he did a good job of reading Brock Purdy's eyes the whole way, and that seemed like a play that if it happened in early October, it's a, it's an easy wide open touchdown. Like Oklahoma just busts. Like uh, this may not even be the same coverage, but I just think back to the Oklahoma State game, the first Cowboys touchdown that it was a com- complete bust, wide open guy, and it was the dumbest thing ever. That's what that would have looked like if Norwood wouldn't have been reading Brock Purdy's eyes. And it's nice to see Oklahoma adjusted and actually made a play and took the ball away. So good on Norwood for that. And he was he was out there. He he has played a ton of snaps. He played snaps at safety, at nickelback. And it's like, I mean, Buki played, but it's he's starting to get his snaps cut into. He's just, he's not, because, in, it, in, and he played for when he was in. He was fine. He was good. Like, he, he was okay. And how much of that was the fact that they didn't want to have Iowa State uh, exploiting him on his size? Maybe a lot, actually. Uh, and plus, also Trey Norwood's playing some really good football. So. I think that was their. I yeah. mean, that was their adjustment. Their adjustment for that game was was Trey Norwood, 
And so, I mean, it's not like I mean Iowa State still had some success throwing the ball in this game, um, but I mean a lot of it was it. They they definitely threw a lot. I guess yeah. I you know I'm I'm really happy with how Trey Norwood has played. Um, he he's a guy that I think you're real excited to to probably get back next year because he I mean his play has really gone a long way towards where the defense is right now, especially just his stability that he's provided on the back end. Um, he's a guy that, you know, if you if he comes back next season, he'd be a fifth-year senior, a guy who's played a lot of football for you. And I, I think at this point in time, you, you're definitely comfortable with him kind of playing that hybrid safety nickelback that he's doing right now. I mean, he's, he's, he's clearly an asset to them next season. Um, and, and is going to be a real big part of probably what they're trying to do in the secondary next year. I, I, I told you I may need to eat some crow on him because he's a guy who, is, who has caught a lot of flack in his career. Um, but maybe he's one of those guys who by the time that he is, he's been in the program a long time and he is so experienced that he puts it all together and he's just a really solid, good player for you. And I, I mean, I think, I mean, that's, that can only be good, especially with how much they've struggled at the safety position. You know, you go into 2021, hopefully thinking to yourselves, your top two safeties are likely, you know, Norwood and DTY now. And you feel you feel pretty good about that. That's pretty salty. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I've only like the only criticism of Norwood throughout his career, and he's improved at this uh, because he's gotten bigger, is just his tackling. Outside of that, he's he's a really good player and tackled and Brees Hall twice in that game. Yeah, no, like he's, so he's he's improved that he's still not the best tackler, uh, but that's not his thing. But from the beginning, when he came onto the scene as a freshman in, in 2017, you could just watch and see he he just gets it. He's very football savvy. He understands what the what the offense is trying to do. And and there's a lot of players, <laughs> and I think you know what I'm talking about on the Oklahoma defense for the past two three years that every once in a while they'll look like they know what they're doing, but there's times where you just want to pull your hair out because you're like, how, how do you not see what's happening there? I'm sorry, like Trey Brown played very well. There was one play in the game where I just was like, what are you doing, man? You're the corner. The tight end just got immediately outside release behind him when he was pl- supposed to be playing cover three. It's like he didn't even see him. And he was right in front of him, and it was an easy pitch and catch from Brock Purdy down inside the five-yard line. That That is such a dumb play to allow. What a, 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 a person of his, his stature and, and the amount of snaps he's played – I don't know how that happens. That that doesn't make any sense. Trey Norwood doesn't allow that to happen if he's playing corner. I, I guarantee it. He, the, you're the cornerback. You're the you have the outside. If anybody goes to the outside, you're taught to. You don't want to let people get outside leverage to begin with. <laughs> and the, this tight end just runs a wheel route, and it's the easiest throw for Purdy ever. I mean, but again, I think Trey Brown played a pretty good game. But that's just one instance where it just that that is an avoidable mistake. Um, but yeah, I I like. Trey Norwood for a long time and it's nice to see that he's back healthy and he's he's a contributor and yeah I'd like to see him back next year because I think he's definitely an asset as you said how about a guy that we have not talked much about at all this year but we talked about him a little bit last game who made some some impact in this game as well Robert Barnes Robert Barnes coming in actually getting snaps at safety spelling Pat Fields he I saw him in the first half he came up he made a tackle around the line of scrimmage I think on Brees Hall uh, he looks like the biggest safety ever, but then of, of course his, his the biggest play of the game for him on Iowa State's last kickoff return, an open field tackle on Nwangu that saved what 20, 25 yards more. I mean it's the, it's a difference in Iowa State starting that last drive at their own thirty and at the fifty or across the fifty yard line. I mean Robert Barnes, I mean that was a huge play in the game. Man, I hope he's back. I hope he's back next year too. Like I mean, it's it's, whew, 
Yeah. Um, he also made he he made a nice play on uh on Brees Hall at the line of scrimmage too in the uh in the second quarter. Um yeah, he's he's like a guy that you I mean you definitely don't mind having, kind of a bigger safety. He's always kind of played up near the box and that's always where he's been his best. And you need a guy like that in the Big 12. And it does I mean and DTY is kind of in that mold as well, but it doesn't it definitely doesn't hurt to have another guy like that at the other safety position. So, you know, I mean it's It'd be nice if they can get some of these guys back, have some continuity in that system, play the same position in the offseason, and then and then you got that experience, and then you got some continuity in the secondary. And a lot of the times, that's what spells success in the secondary, is experience, the continuity, because a lot of it has to do with communication and switching and passing guys off. And if you've been there long enough and you're playing with the same guys long enough, that's a whole hell of a lot easier. Um so it's it's really nice to see like some some of the guys who have stepped up and have and have really kind of just guys who have been in the program for a long time who people a lot of people just sort of left for dead who have stepped up this season and have been just great Robert Barnes Trey Norwood Isaiah Thomas being definitely the highest on that list um it's 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 great to see it's 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 evidence that what Lincoln Riley and the culture of the program they're trying to build it's evidence that it's taking hold and congrats to Pat Fields. I think that was was that his first career interception. First I think that career. was his yep. first one. Yep, good for him. And uh, after after he, he should have had about two or three in the first game against Iowa State. Uh, at least he got the one. And um, talked about how hey, I mean, and I, I mean, I, we kind of touched on this, but yeah, I mean, Purdy threw the ball to Oklahoma four times the first time Oklahoma didn't catch one of them. Purdy threw the ball to him three times in that game, and Oklahoma caught it every single time. So, I mean, even though Purdy had been playing really well, Oklahoma's pressure up front got to him and forced some bad throws, and that's a good transition to uh, what did you see from the front, the front seven? I, I thought just off the top of my head, uh, Isaiah Thomas did Isaiah Thomas things. He looked good. I thought Nick Benito played very well. Nice to have him back in the game. Uh, I, I, I saw Ronnie Perkins had, I think, a sack and a half, but he didn't seem to make at least just like naked eye, like a, as much impact as maybe people would think. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe uh, a, a smart film study person could watch it back and say, hey, Ronnie just affected all these plays. I, I you know, maybe uh, linebacking wise, I don't I, 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 nothing really stood out to me. I didn't think anybody played particularly well at linebacker, maybe a Webu, but uh, he still looks so slow out there. But I was checking out Pro Football Focus uh, grades, which I, I'm a, I like Pro Football Focus, and you know who knows, take her to leave it. But Agbuebu actually graded out pretty well in that game for all the stats he pl- uh, the snaps he played. So uh, I it just I I'm, I'm not seeing it with him, but I I don't know. I mean, I, I guess he just is doing the right things. Um, but anyways, that's that's off the top of my head. That's kind of what I recognize from the front. Uh, what's it out to you from the front seven? No, I mean, the same as everyone else. Uh, you know, Perry and Winfrey, I thought, was really impactful right in the middle. Uh, when Corey Roberson was in, he flashed a little bit as well, too, which I thought was huge. I think Ellison's playing really well, too. Ellison, I think he's starting I mean, to make some more impact plays, yeah. It'd be, it'd be awesome. I, I, I don't expect that Ronnie Perkins is going to return next season, but, I mean, I, I expect literally everyone else to return. I mean, that is... And their defensive line was awesome before Ronnie Perkins came back this season. Also, what about Perry on Winfrey though? He's, he's kind of a wild card. I could see him. I think he's going to come back. His size, okay. Yeah, well, and so and nice. also, oh like, man, I'm just licking my chops too. If if Jalen Redmond comes back, oh yeah. oh man, yeah. how how fun would that? Because because then you could just because the easy thing to do there is you just kick Isaiah Thomas back outside, and then you're can I mean Isaiah Thomas, Perry, and Winfrey and. Jalen Redman with Benito coming off the edge, you know, yeah, I, that's pretty salty. That'd be pretty tough for people to account for. And you're still rotating in guys like, 
Marcus Stripling and Corey Roberson and Josh Ellison and Jordan Kelly and oh yeah, Leron Stokes I think is is back next year too. Um, there yeah, big things ahead for that defensive line. It's 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 I'm hoping it kind of turns into a factory. They looked great yesterday. Iowa State really struggled to block them, and um, Brock Purdy a lot of the times did Brock Purdy things. Did a good job of of, of evading some pressure. Um, I, I if 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 Brock Purdy was was less mobile, I mean there would have been many more than three sacks in that game. I mean, there was he had pressure in his face consistently the entire game, and that that's an Iowa State offensive line that you said is a Joe Moore Award nominee. They like a lot of coaches think they're one of the best offensive lines in the country, and they couldn't block Oklahoma up front, and that's like that's the difference. I mean that's that's why, and that was pretty much the difference in the game, was it not? How everyone said like sure. they just. Iowa State consistently could not block Oklahoma long enough to sustain the drive that they needed to at the end of the game. And I knew, like, I, I think that was kind of it. OU being able to get that instant pressure and also Iowa State just naturally not being that explosive when Brees Hall is not, is not running wild. And they, they struggled in, in, those, in those instances. They just could not land enough haymakers against OU's pass rush. So uh, the, the only time in that game when I was actually concerned about Oklahoma's chances of winning uh and and I just I I know that you were pretty stressed uh, I, I've heard of other OU my friends that are OU fans that were stressing out I just I mean when, when the team's lost two games I it just it doesn't the stakes to me even though it's a big 12 title eh, the stakes really aren't that that high to me so I mean and, and also I just you, you've heard me this whole podcast I think Iowa State's really good so to me it was like yeah I mean Iowa State's playing really good football but anyways the only time when I was like kind of concerned was on uh after Deshaun White's face mask on that last drive when he uh had didn't have any reason to do that and he ripped the guy's helmet off that one I was like okay that that's that's not good I'm I'm kind of concerned but then fortunately to tie it back to the front I would say that a couple of false start penalties and I think that is directly attributed to Oklahoma's pass rush and they, they were trying to get off the ball they were they realized that they were not doing very well against those guys and I think guys like Winfrey and Perkins and Thomas and those the pass rush uh, probably forced some of those false starts which got Iowa State backwards and made it a little bit more possible for Oklahoma to get off the field there when Trey Brown made the interception so I'm going to make a bit of a uh, an audible I know at the start of the podcast I said we do some three-word reviews uh, we're trying to be as quick as possible we'll save those uh, we'll try to record later this week I I'm going to I don't want to record uh, Wednesday this week, Grant, but I don't know. But Thursday's Christmas Eve. That that could be tough because I, we'll see. I, well, we're gonna be in the same state oh, late yeah, this true. week and over the weekend, so we can figure it out. Because the reason, because because Wednesday there's there's some stuff going on Wednesday evening that I kind of would like to to partake in. And, and since if are you gonna be around Wednesday? You yeah, I mean I'm, I'll be around, but I'm 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 getting up super early on Christmas Eve morning and driving to you. Oh, oh, so you're not okay, so you're not going to be here Wednesday though. You're not going to be in Oklahoma on Wednesday. I won't be in Oklahoma on Wednesday. I'll I'll be in Oklahoma on Monday evening or on Monday, uh, Thursday evening. Okay. Anyways, so point being, we're not going to do three-word reviews because we got a ton of them right now and 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 we we uh don't want to go too long in this podcast because uh, mainly because the NFL slate's kicking off in a half an hour and Grant and I have a fantasy team we got to deliberate on and figure out what our lineup's going to be. Nobody cares about that. Uh, the last thing, though, is that we were doing this at a certain time specifically because the college football playoff rankings were coming out. And did they just release the top four 
Or did they oh, just no, do the top three? Oh, no, they only three? have the top three out right now, and they're trying to build suspense for the last spot. Uh, Ohio State okay. did get in as the three seed. And uh, so it's, I mean, it, it's so Ohio be, State's the three. Yeah. Ohio so, State's the three seed. Yeah, so Notre Dame will be the fourth seed. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, it's it's lame. I, I mean, I, I think it's pretty lame that Ohio State is in. Um, but they are, and that's just kind of how it is. It's 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 an it's an Alabama coronation. Um, maybe not a coronation, but uh, you know, Alabama Clemson should be a pretty good competitive national title game. I would I would guess. Yeah, there, there it is. So we and this is this is a live podcasting for us, but obviously for you all, it's not live. Uh, you were correct, Grant. So they just announced Notre Dame is the four seed. So it'll be Bama versus no, <clears throat> excuse me. Alabama Notre Dame in one game versus Clemson. Wow, that was totally right. Alabama versus Notre Dame, and then in the other game, Clemson versus Ohio State. And uh, boy, I am. I don't really care. I'm going to be honest with you. There is a there is a legit possibility I do not watch either of those games. Well, here's the thing, though. We're both going to bet them, so we'll we'll definitely pay attention. But man, I. I mean, everyone's going to pick Bama Clemson, and that's where we're going to be probably again. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be Bama Clemson. There's no reason to overthink this. Uh, Alabama should is going to handle Notre Dame fairly easily, pro- probably in a very similar fashion to how that that ACC championship game played out last night. Um, and I, I I expect Clemson to handle Ohio State fairly easily. I, as of right now, I think Ohio State is going to be missing all of the same guys that they missed from the Big Ten championship game. So unless unless the Big Ten changes their quarantine rule, which I guess it wouldn't surprise me if they do. Well, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical about that thing because uh, the Wisconsin quarterback, he was the first big name in the Big Ten to test positive. And if you did the math on that and you and he, he should have missed, I think, what ended up being like the Michigan game at the very end. But he ended up playing in that game somehow. So uh I guess my thought process was like, there's no way this guy's going to play in this game because technically he's only going to be able to practice for like one day. Well, like uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think they'll, the they'll, big, they'll probably change the rules. They're definitely going to change the rule, but um, I think uh, yeah, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that uh, Trey Sermon had the best game of his collegiate career in the Big Ten championship game. So we're like, that's the thing. That's that's the only that's the only ounce of happiness I feel for Ohio State is just for Trey Sermon. Yeah, so Trey Sermon's going to get a chance to play in the playoff. Uh, well, I guess he technically didn't play last year because he was injured, right? Was that was he injured last? Yeah, he yeah so he, was, he he had already left the team at this point last year, I think. Okay, I was going to say he's going to get a chance to to play in the playoff and lose four playoff games, but A um, and M is number five. OU did not jump them. All right, so, so I, expect, I suspect OU, do we OU to be number OU six. To be six? Yeah. So is that going to then set? And again, we're just doing this off the top. We're watching this live um, right now. We see one Bama, two Clemson, three Ohio State, four Notre Dame, five Texas A and M. They have yet to release the six seed. So, so are you thinking is this going to mean OU versus A and M? I mean, I hope so. But I there were some reports, or not reports, but some rumors yesterday that that A and M was kind of already slated into the Orange Bowl if uh, if they weren't in the playoff. And OU, just by virtue of winning the Big 12 championship, is in the Cotton Bowl. So I think it's looking like they're going to play Florida or Georgia, which is, which is really boring. I didn't want to play either of those teams. Uh, but I, I think that, yeah, I, I, if, I, if, if I had to guess right now, I'd say they probably play Georgia in the Cotton Bowl. 
Well, if we want Oklahoma to end the season on a high note, it's probably best if they play Georgia and not Florida because I'm not sure right now with Oklahoma's offense, if which is so crazy to say. Florida's I'm defense sure kind of sucks, up. though. Like, that's one of those where OU might be able to just be able to chuck it deep on yeah. them without, with, with, without regard for human life. Yeah, in years past, we've been able to say that, but, uh, you know, how much... How much is that? Is that you know? How much of the SEC this year is is them just beating up on each other, and maybe they're really good, or how much of it is actually the defenses aren't as good as they used to be? Although it seems like Alabama, well, Alabama's defense figured it out up until they played Florida. Which, anyways, uh, so have we said it on yet? Uh, OU is six. OU, OU is number came six. Out at six. And so if you, I mean, you take it with the context of just how the season started, and. You know, they started the season one and two, and they ended just you know two spots out of the playoff. I, I mean, that's. For for a down season, for a quote unquote rebuilding year, I think you take that. That's not bad at all. Yeah, absolutely. Good for Oklahoma. I'm not sure when they're going to announce their who they're going to play yet. Uh, I, I got to pro- assume that'll be that'll be soon. It, you know. Yeah, it'll, I, I mean that it'll be today. It, that game is going to be, be in. I mean, less than two weeks. Whatever the Cotton Bowl is on December 30th. They play in. You know, I mean, they play in ten days. That's awesome. Huh. Okay. All right, before we go, I do want to bring up one final thing when it comes to the college football playoff, Grant, and I was so happy Saturday night to see the news that they are going to move the playoff game that was supposed to be at the Rose Bowl to AT&T Stadium in Arlington. Good for the college football playoff. It's ridiculous to have a playoff game without any fans, or especially any family members, because all they were asking for is, hey, let the family in. That's it. And like they were going to play there. Pasadena or whoever they're like nah we're not going to let you do that so thank you know good for the college football playoff committee they're like yeah we're going to move the game because it was and, and so now there's the, like it, now family and fans will be able to be there it sounds like yeah it sounds it was the state of California that rebuffed all of that I, I do I was reading stories that like the Rose Bowl game and Pasadena was lobbying the state of California to change to for an exception to the rule and they were denied so it is a oh yeah a, no I know yeah it's yeah, it's, they, it's a no, California thing not a not a Rose Bowl Pasadena thing so um okay well i mean the playoff did everything they were as nice as possible to california and the rose bowl to like keep the game there i mean it's not much to ask to allow family into the game i mean that's i don't even know how many people that is is it even a thousand people i think they were they were lobbying to get like between 200 and 400 people there or something like that i mean it's that that's like nothing that is nothing that that is an easy but i guess they were they stayed on principle and they were like nope we say nobody can go and we're not going to make any exceptions. So in a bizarre, weird way, I guess good for them for not making exceptions. But I think the policy is very misguided. So good on the college football playoff for moving it. Uh, and I, I think I Pat Forty, I, I know he's one of your favorite guys, Grant. Uh, he's he's the, the reasoning for the college football playoff they used was kind of dumb. I think they said they 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 cited like positivity rate or something in, in both spots, which is like, you don't need to do that guys. Just say that we wanted the fans to be there and they were not allowing it. And I, I saw Pat Forty was annoyed by that because he cited some stat about how the positivity rates actually even worse where they're going to play the game and in, in Arlington or I don't know what any of those stats mean. Cause I, I didn't look them up, but uh, I, it sounds like you don't have anything to add on that. So that's the only reason I brought that up. Cause it's kind of fun to make fun of him every once in a while, but no, yeah, it, I don't want. I don't matter. want anyone we, thinking here that I'm actually a fan of Pat Forty. So please, please retract that. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I guess my point is that the college football playoff, 
the reasoning was kind of bizarre. Just say why. Just say, no, we want to have fans. We, we want to at least allow the family to be there. Just say that. And I think the other game is at the Sugar Bowl. Is that right? And I, I don't think that game is going to allow as many fans as Arlington unless they've changed it in the last two weeks. But I'm pretty sure that one's only going to allow limited limited fans you guys like saw something like, like they're like that, allowing so. like eight thousand people into that one or something oh I, good. I don't know it's what that anyways i just wanted to bring that up because we talked about it on the show a week or two ago and i'm glad the college football playoff made that change it would be so ridiculous if these kids were playing the biggest game of their lives a lot of these guys will never get a chance to play this game and there's just it's an empty stadium no it's the stupidest but, yeah, thing ever it's not it's they're not making the decision because families aren't allowed to attend. They're making the decision because empty stadiums look like crap on TV. That's why they made the decision. And it's the I mean, that's it, part of it, I think. But I, I do this think is, they, this is one of the three biggest college football broadcasts of the season. And they didn't want it with an empty stadium. That That's why they made the decision. Yes, that's. And but also they're moving it to Texas in Arlington where they've had fans at Cowboys games and obviously the Big 12 title game. And they put as many as they possibly can within the guidelines or whatever. It, I mean, notice how they didn't move it to another state that would allow fans but would maybe say, no, you can't have as many as you want. I mean, there's a reason why they're doing it in Texas because in Texas you can essentially put as many fans as you possibly can in there given the guidelines. Oh, I just, I just, this is actually kind of interesting. That, that game that's in Texas uh, or the Rose Bowl game, who knows if it's going to be called that, is going to be Alabama and Notre Dame, not Clemson, Ohio State. So um, hmm. that's kind of interesting. I would have thought, Alabama being the one seed, they would get the, they would get kind of the closer to home site, in New Orleans. But I guess not, unless yeah. I don't know, is hmm. Tuscaloosa closer to Dallas? I doubt it. I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay, so there's that. Uh, okay, I'm kind of a loss for words now. That's all I have for for now. Is there anything else pressing that we need to touch on? I, I think that's, I think that's it. I don't know. I just I hope the I hope the uh, the rumors about OU and A and M not happening are are not true. I, I think I mean that's who says no to that. I mean that's obviously the best matchup. Like of of the so I mean just just make that happen. Make it happen. Yeah, I'm sure Aggies would want to play in Arlington and not have to go to what you said the orange bowl in florida to miami yeah like keep my, yeah, especially I mean, with coronavirus keep everyone like kind of in their geographic locations it's a, like it's the game is in 10 days i mean it's it's it makes it makes a lot more sense all right that's it uh that's it for this podcast hopefully you guys in, enjoyed this little bit of off the cuff uh immediate game recap podcast we're going to do our best to be back later this week with more info and hopefully we can get to your three word reviews uh, and by that time, we'll know who Oklahoma is going to be playing in the bowl game, I'm sure. So uh, until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.